Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Out of the Blue. It is Easter Sunday. Hooray! I think I've eaten my body weight in eggs right now. Um, so my name is Heather. And I'm Erin. We'd like to welcome you to Out of the Blue today. You could be listening live on 855am. You might be listening to us on live at 3C- online at 3cr.org.au. You could be co- podcasting. There's, there's lots of ways you can listen to us. I think the point is just listen to us. Yeah, that is that is. We'd like to know today. that uh, we have some friends out there. Yep. Well, today we're going to be uh, continuing on with our Sex in the Sea shows. This is part three today. Um, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. La, la, la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. So, welcome to Out of the Blue. Welcome. Aaron, do you want to start the show today? Look, absolutely, we're going to be talking about Sex and the Sea Part 3. It's a very exciting topic, but first of all, we do have some sad news to bring you. Uh, For those of you who are... Familiar with any of the rays down in the ripe here? Unfortunately, a local favourite, Stumpy, was actually found killed and unfortunately harvested for her, for her fins just this week. So, yeah. quite sad news. She was a local favourite and well known to everyone there. And look, I think it is important to, to point out that I will be sad if I see any ray or shark uh, killed, but she was a particularly special ray because she was very, very friendly and she was unintentionally providing a great service and great opportunity for a whole range of people to form a relationship with these beautiful animals and really get to know them and appreciate them, which, you know, we, we often don't get to do. Living in the city or the suburbs, we just don't get this exposure. Yeah, and I've scuba dived at Rye a lot. I mean, I think one of my open water dives when I was learning to dive was down at Rye and it's really nice having the stingrays come around. As long as you give them the space, they've, I've never felt threatened, ever. As long as you give them all the space they need. So, yeah, a bit of a sad story out of um, Rye. But hopefully, you know, having seen it on Facebook and things, people spread the word and talk about how important rays are and that they're not out there waiting to hurt you. Definitely, definitely. And look, look, it is terrible news, but we, we are here on Easter Sunday. Let's turn it around as best as we can. Yep. Let's talk about some happy things. Um, what I want to do today is actually I want the everyone listening to be a bit of a judge. Now, I want you to be a judge about Finding Nemo. I'm sure oh. you're all familiar with that movie. Love Finding Great Nemo. Great Disney Pixar movie. Came now, out for 
15 years ago, I think now, oh, which makes, makes me feel, feel really old. old. Yeah. Yeah, I'm old. We're okay. forever feeling old on this show. We've got to change that. It's going to continue to get worse. You know this. Yeah. We're going to continue to feel older and older. That's just the yeah, nature true. of things. That is true. <laughs> Moving along. Yes, Finding Nemo, a great movie, a great storyline. But what I want to do is get everyone to listen into the real Finding Nemo. Now, I want you to judge. Did- I don't know. Are you saying Disney lied to us? Or lies a strong word, but yes, they lied to us. Okay, wow. So I okay. want everyone to listen to the scientifically accurate Di- uh, Finding Nemo, what would really happen, or were Disney Pixar right in going with their preferred storyline? So to set the scene, mm-hmm. we have our three main characters. We have Nemo. Everyone's familiar with little Nemo. Love Nemo. But I want to bring you all the way back. We've got Marlon, who's the father, and Coral, the mother. Yes. And look, Finding Nemo actually starts out really, really great and really scientifically accurate. They're swimming around. They're all very happy. They've got this amazing view of the drop off the edge of the reef. They've got this beautiful uh, colony and group of fish around them. Excellent. Fantastic. Yep. And they look like really loving, caring parents. Like they're preparing for their imminent parenthood. That's right. And yeah. they've got all those eggs. Happy days. And then shock and horror, the tragedy of the movie, the real turning point, Coral's eaten. Coral is eaten. By a massive barracuda. Massive barracuda. Now, it is a sad point in the movie. Okay. And this is where Disney Pixar decide to use their uh, creative license a little bit because I'm going to tell you the story about what really happens. So, Coral, unfortunately, she's eaten. She's, well, we don't know. We never, it's alluded to. We don't know. It's it's assumed. It's assumed, but she's not there anymore. She's, let's just say she's she's absent. You know what Marlon does in the real world? He's so happy. Hooray. He's ecstatic. This is the best day of his life. That's a massive call. That is a massive call. But the reason he's happy is because for the entirety of his life, Coral has been beating him up, abusing him, and suppressing his hormones and keeping him meek, mild, and male. Ooh. The the plot plot thickens. thickens. So, in the absence of Coral, he then goes, okay, I'm going to grow larger. He grows stronger. Those hormones, they are able to freely expand. Um, express and he becomes a female. That's great news. That's good for him. Confuse children all over the world. Possibly. But remember, we are talking about sex in the sea here because so far we're talking about a really great um, life strategy and habit, but we're not talking about sex. Well, here's where the sex comes in. So, of course, then Nemo hatches and it's a little boy. Can you guess the next step in this little relationship here? So, I know what. Disney told us happens. Yeah, Disney the little told boy us. gets adventurous. Yeah. He goes and touches the butt. Yep. And then he disappears okay, to 42 so Wellby Way, Sydney. He does get adventurous, but he gets adventurous with his now partner, who used to be his father. So Marlon oh. or Marlena or whatever he'd like to, or he sh- she would like to call herself now, they would then form a bonding couple. So there's, there's did Disney many Pixar- reasons why Disney would not depict that. However, are we are we willing to do away with scientific accuracy for a good time and a, a pleasant animated movie? I think the overall message of Finding Nemo was strong enough that, yes, I'm willing to overlook okay, the okay. inconsistencies Look, would, with the science. I would like everyone to make their own opinion. I think my, my version will actually be a lot more exciting. And uh, when is yours being released to cinemas? Any day now. Right, of any course. Any day now. Of course. <laughs> now, this is a really interesting life habit. Um uh, and it is not just exclusively uh, for clownfish. There's a whole range of fish that can change sex. Uh, dragon and zebra eels, moray eels, are well known to, to turn into males in the absence of other males. If there's just too many females around, one or two will go, right, I'm going to become a boy and fill that void. 
Rass, and that's a very large family. They employ a whole range of reproductive strategies. But Maori humphead rats are pretty cool in that they'll all get born female, and then the dominant or larger uh Female Mary Humper Rass will be that male. But once that role is full, once that reproductive role is full, you don't need any more boys. You only need the one boy to, for, for reproductive measures. Maybe you agree with this sort of system. Um, I'm not sure if you can implement it with humans, but that's how they've figured it out. Um, so pretty cool. But it's not just limited to these animals. Barramundi, Murray Cod, but the Barramundi, pretty interesting. So they get born as males and they get born uh, in brackish areas, so between freshwater and saltwater. When they, when the larvae is formed and hatches, which only takes about a day, they swim into the freshwater areas, into rivers. And they take about four years to reach sexual maturity. They'll head back out into that brackish water, and that's when they'll meet the females. So the females have been elsewhere. They'll come in, and they'll meet in that brackish water, and they'll produce a whole range of new eggs and larvae. They'll go back into the river system, and about six or seven, they'll undergo another bit of a trip. They will go from the brackish water out into the open ocean. Now, once they reach there, they actually undergo a sex change. They become females. So the larger animal becomes female. So you've got humphead Mary Rass that are starting as girls and changing to boys, and you've got barramundi that are starting as boys and changing to girls. Exact opposite, but it's for a good reason. The barramundi makes sense. So... As a male, you're often a little bit smaller in the barramundi, and they're producing sperm. Sperm is relatively energy uh, undemanding. It doesn't take actually much energy to produce sperm. An egg, conversely, takes a lot of energy to produce. So these larger animals, the older animals, the big females, they've got the energy, the resources, maybe the muscle mass, the fat content, to divert into producing eggs. And they can produce up to about 40 million eggs per season. So that's a that's, lot of eggs. That's a big investment, though, too. No wonder you have to be big to be able to do that. That's right. And so that's why these smaller animals, it makes more sense for them to be males because they can't produce that many eggs. And as they get older and bigger, they'll produce more and more eggs. Unlike mammals who will be born with a set number of eggs, let's say 500 to 600, like us, will be born with that set number, these uh, barramundi and fish like these uh, species will keep producing eggs as they get older, and more and more and more. So if you're a fisherman or if you're just a recreational diver and you find a large barramundi, it's going to be a female. And its contribution to that ecosystem and the population of barramundi is really, really amazing. So it's really important with large barramundi and Murray cod that we actually put back the larger animals. If you're a recreational fisherman, put back those because they're so important to our ecosystem. And they're doing a lot more catch and release with some of those individuals now too. I am seeing more and more of that where uh, fishermen are taking a lot of responsibility doing catch and release. They, they still want to appreciate the sport, but they're at least releasing these animals back out there. And that's great because we all want to um, have fish in the future. Definitely. Well, we might go to a quick song, and I, th I think I've found one that really, really fits the theme of today. You that's can a, tell me afterwards if it's wrong. It's a difficult theme to fit, but let's go. All right. You know what? I think I've got it, though. I've got a lot of confidence in this song choice. Okay. All right. So everyone, sit back, enjoy. Am I going to tell you what it is? Uh, enjoy, and we'll be... Uh, Back in a minute or two with more Sex in the Sea. How'd you do, I? See you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little broad guy because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung out by the way I look. 
Did you enjoy that? I loved that. That was great. Would you like to back announce the song then? <laughs> For everyone who doesn't know and everyone who does know, that of course that was Sweet Transvestite from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fantastic. Sang by Frank Furter. <laughs> so brilliant. Great song and so relevant. Absolutely. <laughs> we're going pretty well with our song choices, I think. So today we're talking about Sex in the Sea. Sex in the Sea, part three. Part three. Three. And there's so many amazing examples of the weird and wonderful ways our marine neighbours get down and dirty. Mm. So this is part three. Part one and two are still available on podcast. So if you go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue, um, you can scroll through our podcasts and they were, both of our shows were last year. So you should be able to find them if you are scroll down a few months ago. And they're lots of fun. They are lots of fun, so and we do. They're very scientific, and we do try and keep the language as scientific as possible. This is all science. It's all true. Yep. It all happens. It's this is just, just bizarre. This is how animals reproduce. Yeah. Now we were just chatting during that song when we weren't singing along to the song um, about sharks, and sharks. Some of the weird stuff sharks do. Now sharks, they employ a whole re- range of reproductive strategies. They've been on this earth for roughly four hundred and twenty million years. They've been evolving quite separate species along that time. So. Look, some sharks lay eggs. That can be quite surprising for some people. But what I do want to talk about is the grey nurse shark. Grey nurse shark is a really interesting mode of reproduction. They practice what we call in urine cannibalism. They have two wombs, and they will lay several eggs into each womb, and the first and healthiest will hatch. And guess what they do? They eat the other eggs that are in that womb, and then they get born. It makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it's like a horror film. That, that's right. It makes sense. Those, those uh, sharks have got a full belly, and they've, they're, we're pretty sure that they've got um, good genetics. There's no deformities. They're going to swell and be nice and happy. But that's not the whole story. So when the grey shark female comes into season, all the males want her attention. They all want to be part of the action, and she will choose that one male to mate with. They'll swim off. The claspers of the male will connect, and she will mate. And you know, hunky dory. That's all great. But then all the other males come in as well, and they want to mate as well. Now, she has a choice. She can either swim away, she can either try and fend them off, or she can just go along with it. Now, that sounds a bit strange, but it does actually serve a purpose. She's not expending any energy fighting off this other male or uh, running away from this, swimming away from this other male. And unfortunately for those other males, they don't realize that their fertilized eggs will then become lunch for the previous male's fertilized eggs. When they hatch, they hatch before the other ones and chow down. So if you manage to mate with the female first, yes, it won't be the only sperm that she receives, but your offspring will hatch first and they will eat the, the other offspring eggs. or the other fertilized eggs of the guys who came after you. Exactly. Whew. Pretty There's inter- a lot going on. Pretty interesting reproductive strategy there. That? It does ensure that th- that those first young, they're nice and healthy and, and they're going to survive. If there was any deformities or bad genetics, well, guess what? The next male shark, those eggs would hatch and eat the prior. So it works. Yeah, it works. Living that is resources. an extreme form of survival of not the fittest, but I guess survival of the fittest and firstborn. That's right. Now, if we're talking about extreme survival, extreme ways of reproducing, then I do urge everyone to go onto YouTube and actually look up the fish grunion. Sounds a bit weird, grunion. And they have a really fascinating mode of reproduction. So they actually reproduce on the beach. So a fish, on, We're talking a fish, aren't we? Yep, that's right. Fish. 
they're on the beach, they'll wash up the females first, and they'll start to bury their head into the sand. And so that they're upright, so the tails are out. To keep the gills wet? Oh, well, they're holding their breath. So they're pushing okay. down into the sand to create a little bit of a cavity for the eggs. The males come next and they come up, they slip around and uh, encompass the females and they do this sort of vibrating dance right there. Both egg and sperm are released at the same time. That all goes down into the cavity that she's created. Remember, she's holding her breath the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully she swims away, he swims away, everything's great. Well, it ha- doesn't sound as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, unfortunately, of course, all these males want in on the action. They don't know if another male's been there already. And before, often, when she can, before she can actually get her head out of the sand, they will encompass her, clasp onto her, uh, mate with her or attempt to mate with her, all the while she's holding her breath under the sand. This can happen several times. That's a, that's a really dangerous strategy it, for a female to it, take. It is an extreme and dangerous strategy, but you know what? The eggs are fertilised, they're in the sand, and uh, that's all that really matters. I guess the eggs don't need mum and dad to look after them, so if mum unfortunately doesn't make it through the mating process, <laughs> the purpose it's is not as horrible as it could be. Wow, well, that's... Yeah. Okay, that's one of the more extreme ones we've we've touched on. That's right. An extreme extreme example, but look, the the species does persist because it does work with reproduction. That's why we're on this earth to reproduce. All the animals need to reproduce, and that's working. Yeah, fair call. Okay. <laughs> well, the the ones I researched were not nearly um, as extreme or, in that sense, graphic um, as what you've just displayed there. Um, so the first one I looked at were sea slugs because we talked about flatworms. I Think in Sex and the Sea Part 2? That's right. Yep. So we talked about flatworms and we talked about how flatworms are hermaphrodites and they will have penis fights because when it comes to mating, you want to be the boy. It's the least amount of investment. You just hand over the sperm. You don't have to do anything else. That's it. That's right. So sea slugs do something really, really interesting in that they will form like, I don't know how to word this nicely for a Sunday, um, like a sex chain. So you'll have this sea slug at the front, and it's the girl. And then a sea slug will come up from behind it and will attach itself. Yes. Um, It will penetrate the female, and it becomes the boy. So the one that's come up from the back of the boy, the one that's at the front is still the girl. Okay. Then you'll have another one that joins the end of the line, and they form these very long chains where each of the individuals is actually fertilizing the individual in front of them. Oh, right. So the boy who's second yes. is also getting receiving sperm from the one... That is my understanding of it, yes. Wow. I didn't delve too deeply into it. It was a little okay. disturbing. But, um, yes, I'll put some, some images on Facebook. It does raise the question, do you want to be the slug at, at the start of the chain or just anywhere in the middle? Because... That's a tough call. Yeah. I, I, well, surely the... Let's leave it up to the sea slugs. (laughs) I don't know. It's a bit of a tricky one. Personally, I don't think I want to be any of the animals we've spoken about today. I definitely don't want uterine cannibalism. Good call. That I imagine would be quite intense. But useful. But I did find a really, really cute one that I I quite like. And it's pretty and it's nice and it's a little bit different. And I've never seen one in the wild, but I hope one day to be able to see one. But there is a fish, puffer fish, and they basically make art in the sand to attract a female. So they'll make 
what almost looks like crop circles but in sand. That's they really go cool. around and they'll use their body to flatten sections and they'll use their fins to ruffle up all the sand to make ridges and to make crests and it's this beautiful circle and then he sits in the middle and he waits for a girl to come along. And then the girl will come along and if she deems that his sand crop circle is sufficient and is pretty and everything that she wants, then she will come and she will lay her eggs in the middle of it and then he can come over and fertilise them with his sperm. That's incredible. Yeah. So there's lots of different designs, but mm-hmm. it's basically sex art. Why not? Yeah. So the females are, do they show preference for the biggest crop circle or the most pretty or the most elaborate? I'm unsure what it is they're looking for because I've seen many different designs, I guess, yeah. and I don't know whether a fish sticks with its design or whether it modifies it based on its success rate, I Well, guess. you'd think if it's got a winning design that gets then the girls. Then you stick with the design. Stick with the design. Um, but, but yeah, may- some of them were quite large. Some of them had like a flattened section in the middle and then sort of it petered out to a large crest and then there was a pattern around the edge of the crest. So there's some fascinating artwork. That's great. That's great. But if I ever saw one in the world, I don't think I'd instantly go, oh, yeah, of course, that's to attract a female. I might sure. go, yeah, that's really pretty. But yeah, those fish really are onto something different. So they're actually um, changing and influencing their environment for them, the, the uh, for reproduction to attract a mate. Yeah, that's that's great. And you can't do it in the shallows because obviously you've got the water movement. It's going to move the sand around and things. So you've got to choose your spot pretty carefully. You might choose it, I don't know, near a boulder or near some coral or things, just to you know protect your sand from movement. But yeah, they um they put in hours of work to make these beautiful little sand crop circles. Well, hopefully it pays off for them. Well, I hope so, because puffer fish are a pretty amazing little animal. I do love them. I absolutely they are love them. Really, really it cute. Love swimming with them. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the water is beginning to get a little bit colder around Melbourne now. I don't know if you've been in the water lately. I did bump into you at Rye a couple, couple of, weeks of weeks ago. ago. I've yep. been to Jawbone Sanctuary a couple of times this summer, and it is getting a bit colder. Uh, the last time I went in, I saw this amazing nudibranch, but very cold. Uh, what colour was it? Uh, bright orange. Oh, nice. Orange, very nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I did just buy a new wetsuit the other day, so I'm hoping it'll get me a few more months into the uh, the water before I move to my dry suit, which currently leaks so much I get wet from my armpits to my ankles. I see. Not as dry a suit as I was like, no. but I really need to get fixed. Yeah. But, yeah, while the water is still, I guess, tolerable, I recommend people get out there and see – you know, our marine life. There are some amazing species right here in Melbourne that do some pretty cool stuff as well. So all you got to do is go out and have a look for it. If you're ever unsure of where to go, local dive shops are really good with giving information on where species are and what to look for. So I know I called up a couple of the dive shops when the spider crabs were in. Oh, yes. And I missed them. That day I saw you at Rye and you were going snorkeling and I was diving. I was diving with a couple of girls from work and a couple of them went off the end of Rye Pier and I didn't venture that far. I don't know. I found nudibranchs or something. And, uh, yeah, spider crabs were just off the edge and I missed them. Oh. I was gutted. But I that's have right. seen several of them around, year. but never none of the migration. No. Well, I'll definitely see it next year, I think. Oh, hopefully. But, yes, once you've finished listening to today's show, get out there. Go in the water. Go and get wet. Definitely. Weedy sea dragons down in Flinders. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of Out of the Blue today and the end of Sex in the Sea Part 3. Um, so make sure you listen to us online. You can listen at 3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue. Also, jump on our Facebook page and tell us what you'd like to know about in the future because there's, there's a lot of animals out there. There's a lot of really interesting up-and-coming scientists that have got some great stuff that they like to share with everybody. Yep, definitely do that. 
But up next is Out of the Pan with Sally. So enjoy your Sunday and don't eat too many Easter eggs. Bye-bye. It will make you sick. Bye. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.